What's up, party people? Thanks for downloading our podcast. You can check out more of our episodes at thisamericanhorrorstory.com or on iTunes. Hello, everybody, and welcome to This American Horror Story, an unofficial podcast for the FX hit show, American Horror Story. I am your host, Tyler Moss, here with... Chris Husted, co-host for the final time. Well, the final time this season, and holy shit do we have a lot to talk about and a lot to think about. Um, it is late here. I am still processing everything I just watched. Um, what are you drinking tonight, Chris? Uh, in honor of my Kennedy honors, uh, I am drinking, just kidding. <laughs> uh, it, as a throwback, like this episode kind of was to the beginning, I am drinking, uh, Buffalo Trace bourbon. What are you drinking? That sounds good. I just finished up a Moscow Mule. Oh, I love those. Homemade, and it was fantastic, and I'm feeling right at home for the moment. Um, so you made ginger beer? Bought some. Oh, nice. Yeah, Very nice. yeah. So before we jump in, um, uh, what, I, what can you even say about this episode, just initially? We had, we had a bunch of flashbacks, obviously, to the past to answer a lot of the questions of what happened to our our you know beloved characters, all while progressing us to to um, the future, which was kind of the, I guess the 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 main storyline which was Lana and uh her son finally uh colliding together. I don't yeah. know. I it, it worked for me. I was pretty happy with the the overall structure of it. Um going back to what happened with all our characters through Lana's um storytelling in her interview before she gets her, her before she goes and gets her journalism award. <laughs> I didn't think the Kennedy Center did that type of stuff for I thought it was for arts, but anyway. Yeah, I mean, I, I want to give my final evaluation at the end, but I just, I mean, there was nothing that was wholly unexpected, I feel like, in this, but it, I'll get, I'll go into that later on, um, but it, it was still... I was a little surprised with the end on how that I played would, out, but I, I, yeah, I just didn't expect yeah. it. Well, I want to note first that this was the same director that we've loved, like, has directed our favorite episode so far, Yes, Alfonso Gomez Rejon. Yep. Um, he did Name Game, and he did uh, Iron, Iron Man, Man Frank, Frank Part, Part Two, which were I think we were pretty we're pretty much agreed that those were our two favorite episodes of the season. Yeah, what do you think? Yeah, that one. I also liked the I forget what it was called, but the Santa one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was a good one too. Um, but this this episode was a little less cinematic than some of his past ones, but I think it's because he had a, sp- a specific plot that he had to wrap up, kind of. Um, yeah, there was still anyway, some pretty so amazing shots. Let's kind of shots. jump into it and, and start um, unwrapping it piece by piece, I guess. Let's do it. Which uh, we're starting with Johnny Junior, um, and we see this flashback of him at Briarcliff, kind of at the beginning of the season when we first saw you know Adam Levine and his character showing up. It's kind of you know tying loose ends, and and we see it from his perspective, with the headphones in, and he has the bloody face mask in his bag, and he hacks off Adam Levine's arm with a machete. Machete, <laughs> pretty intense. Right. Um, it was nice to get that you know call back to see what actually had happened during that sequence, though, because you know we knew it was the real bloody face doing something, but we didn't really know how it happened. Right, and we see these hallucinations he has of Lana while there. Do you feel like you learned anything new from his perspective here? I did. Um, we get we get Lana kind of, um, not kind of, she actually is, uh, like reciting her book in his mind because he's probably reading it. I think that's what was happening. I think it was an audiobook. Yeah, okay. that's how I was Okay, that's right. And uh, we get the description of... Threadson as fatherly in his manner, trustworthy, you know, which obviously was, she says, was his real mask. But you see uh, little bloody face Junior, Johnny, 
seeing these sequences happen and kind of having this moment with his, you know, hallucination of his father and he's getting emotional. You can see he gets a little teary eyed. It's uh, it, it, you see, I think there we learn that he's really connected to his father. It's not just a hatred for his mother. It's that connection to his father that he never really got to experience. Well, and I think it's important to note that he connects to Thredson throughout the season when we see him through physical places. I mean, we know that he took Thredson's apartment from that elderly couple that he killed. We find that out later in this episode. Um, But he's in Thredson's apartment. But here he has an emotional connection with Briarcliff as a structure itself. And um, in a way, he kind of... It's almost like he absorbs his father's demons through the building of Briarcliff. And it kind of reminds me of season one a little bit how... I mean, it's it's not quite as a... um, outright way as the murder house was like you know actually slipping into people's thoughts and creating making them do things but in the same way it's kind of the theme of how a place can hold emotion and memories and trans you know have right even though it's just the bare bones of that you know place it's been long gone but it still holds so much exactly um and from there, we kind of transition to the current time period where we see Lana in her old makeup. What did you think of her old makeup? She looks pretty babelicious for 68, 70, whatever she's supposed to be. She was in good shape. She looked in good shape. But, I mean, she looked, she looked pretty legitimate, I thought. I mean, Yeah, it was pretty good. She did a good uh, job with her old people or old woman voice. You could, she yes. sounded a little mm-hmm. more weathered. She had a little bit of a weathered inflection. I noticed that too. And then we noticed that she is out of the closet now with a new girlfriend. Right. She's the full on, you know, lesbian Diane Sawyer. That's right. And she's winning a Kennedy Center Award. She's also, I, I, I thought it was kind of funny. They did kind of have, at least through dialogue, they acknowledged how good she looked. You know, she's like, well, yeah. my Parisian, you know, surgeon would, is who you should thank or something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like they were acknowledging their own that, talent. That they can't make her look that ugly and old. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, she also said something here about how she didn't want to talk about Bloody Face initially because right. now he's become a household name. But in a way, she's kind of she made him into a household name. You know what I mean? Right. What did you get from that? Uh, obviously, it's something that she just doesn't want to acknowledge because she's moved past that. It's it's all you know. We've seen how everyone's responded to this trauma that they've all gone through at Briarcliff. So. Hers was trying to move forward and make a dollar or make a name out of it. And then she's moved on since then. And maybe it's just painful. I I couldn't tell if it would be painful for her to revisit because she doesn't seem like she's, you know, pain. She exploits that pain for, you know, her benefit. So, well, and that's that's what I was wondering if this was her like a form of us seeing her her, her regret at kind of that naked ambition that had like used Bloody Face as a, you know, um, rocket to the top you know and now she in in retrospect she she regrets um giving him the popularity and the fame that she gave him in her story and pretty much rode his coattails in some ways you know um maybe this is us seeing her as an older more matured person who's kind of come to turn you know basically um took a step back from the hardened character we saw in the last episode right she's still vain as hell but yeah which we see in the next part but we didn't see her be. I, I I thought this was interesting. You know that moment with the sparkling water. Yeah. We didn't see. I we, I thought that was interesting that they. I don't know if they were trying to show us that she's not as bitchy as she once was, like because she wasn't so picky about it or something like that. I mean, she was still kind of picky, but she didn't get on the assistant or anything like that. I don't know. If, well, I mean, we know who the assistant was, and later on we find out that she, you know, Bloody Face Junior, who's giving her that sparkling water, she says later she on knew. she's like she knew exactly who it was when she first saw him that's right that's right so maybe that was part of it too but which uh, that also kind of that well if we can get to that later but yeah we'll get to that later um, well let's talk about her briarcliff expose because she did the expose that she had been right originally talking about doing that kid had tried to push her to do first the transition to get to the expose where she's like, like hung him a mirror, and she's like, I always do my own eyebrows, and she does her eyebrows, and it has a shot of her, and then it, and then it, I, I think it zooms into the mirror or something like that, or or it transitions. That's what it is. It transitions to her looking or looking at her eyebrows in the back seat of a car, back in the 
60s or 70s whenever she went to try to go do this expose and then it, the camera pulls back into the front seat because she's sitting in the back seat and the two cameramen guys that are there working with her are in the front two seats and she kind of yeah. gives them the you know the tip off of what they got to get done there it was i thought that was beautiful that was so cinematic <laughs> and this isn't the first time we've seen this gomez rejon use mirrors as a transition tool um been very cool i don't know if that has an actual uh, more inherent meaning, or if he just has kind of used that as a cool transition. Yeah. Um, regardless, I'm impressed with it. It's, it's been really nice. Right. But yeah, we jump into the past, and she kind of gave this whole sh- rundown about how she went from being a writer to being a TV personality and all that stuff. What did you think about that? Um, She's like, you know, TV's the future. I, I knew that. I figured that out. I had I had to go with that because I knew that's where uh, you know the career would be. What do you What did you What do you make of that yeah, as a exa- journalist? Yeah, exa- yeah, exactly. Um, Is that like saying I, I'm going into multimedia today or I'm going into web? Well, they certainly have kind of shit on writers throughout, you know, the span of the season a little bit. Um, I don't know if she's in it. I, but then again, she's not exactly a solid gold person as a broadcast journalist either. We She, she comes right out and says it wasn't justice that made me go back to Briarcliff. It was ambition. She wanted to... She wanted that on her resume to be the one that shut down Briarcliff. That's what drove her back in the end. And she wanted to shock the public with that footage. And the footage was really gross. And it was, I mean, it kind of felt like those old videos that are like of Holocaust victims in a, you know, like a libera- liberation of like a death camp or something like yeah, that. Yeah, it was, it was very grainy. Very, very seven, very retro. Oh, yeah. And it's just kind of like disturbing. You're cringing the entire time. Very disturbing. And that place has uh, gone downhill, man. Well, and it was shitty to begin with, and so, but when they st- when the state took over, clearly it was overpopulated, and they just didn't have the personnel to take care of it. Which is what the attendant even says when he, inter- you know, she kind of ambush interviews him. But the- it's kind of funny that like no one even knew they were in there. Yeah, they were just like wandering around. Right. Yeah. That. That. Those are the two things that I thought were kind of cool. One, she takes that that secret tunnel or whatever where they used to feed the raspers through. She takes that yeah, yeah. to get in, uh, which I didn't think we'd ever see that, you know, tunnel again. But then the other thing is, well, also while she's in there, she says, you know, nothing is more stimulating than crazy people, showing crazy people. Um, yeah, yeah. Which is very old Lana. Uh, mm-hmm. But, but um, the, yeah, the guy, the, 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 the uh, what are they called in there? <laughs> the. We called them orderlies. Orderlies, thank about. you. Yeah, the orderly comes in and like doesn't. He's like, who are you? Oh, okay, cool. And then he like, doesn't kick her out. She's got like a camera crew with her, clearly documenting how ridiculous and, and awful the situation is. And they get to go find Jude <laughs> or try to. Right. So she hunts for Jude and isn't able to find her. We kind of see the sequence in which she does find her, but that's kind of in the psych out. Yeah. 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 That's how she um, wanted it to happen. Right. She wanted to find Jude in some room. And I think that was part of like the, that would have completed her journalist journalistic story here the like it would have been the clean ending to her her circle right which we learned she um, that she's all about making her story perfect as we see she does multiple takes you know around all these people not even like talking to them or connecting with them at all she's yeah, like yeah. oh like oh let's do that one again like she, oh yeah she wants it's not it's not i mean obviously she's filming stuff as it happens but it's not you know raw footage necessarily it's i mean She's setting it up for one in one way or another. She's a perfectionist, clearly. Um, but we find out she does. She she shut down Briarcliff, but she wasn't able to save Jude. But she was able to tell that um, what's what's Jude's alias? Oh, Betty Drake. Betty Drake. The the the, the Betty Drake. I only remember that because I think of Betty Draper, who was is yeah yeah. yeah 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 yeah. Um, so from there we transition to she visits Kit. And kind of does a little bit of a camera ambush, but I was, I was, I was proud of her that she didn't insist on the cameras being there. Me for too. That shows she's at least still a good person, <laughs> kind of. Right. And so Kit's very proud of her for having shut down Barclay finally, and she kind of asks him about saving this Betty Drake, and, and um, he comes clean and he did it. He did it. He says he did it for the kids, and it was how he. Which, what did you think about that when he first said that? I did it for the kids. Well, I guess what he was trying to say, it seemed like this was what he was trying to say to me, that, like, especially after, I mean, Alma Alma died in Briarcliff. 
Obviously, he spent time in Briarcliff. Grace spent time in Briarcliff, and in some ways, after her release, it was her time at Briarcliff that obviously ultimately led to her death, because that's where she was abducted and everything like that. And so, Briarcliff was hanging over this family so strongly, and it was like, Kit felt like they needed to, somehow he needed to get rid of that cloud that was hovering over his family yeah he says like, i how need to leave barcliff behind and i needed to find someone right. to forgive or something to forgive right and all that was left really was like we said like jude i mean other than lana jude was the lone survivor mm-hmm. um and so that was his way of cleaning up his past a little bit and kind of his, him and his family could move forward it was kind of how i saw it a little bit and it moved past the death of alma the death of grace all that kind of stuff so he he get, brings Jude back to the house and she's like detoxing on the pills. We see kind of the se- cool sequence where he's been playing checkers with her and she she's slowly becoming more sentient again. And um, we realize even though she was kind of crazy that there is still a person in there that it was maybe the environment and the medication that was really beating her down. Which if that's not a commentary on how we treat people with mental illnesses in this country. Absolutely, absolutely. I don't know what is. Absolutely, and um, we we see her kind of coming slowly coming back, and she has this moment where she remembers Kit, um, but she's like channeling, but she's like still thinks she's Sister Jude, and she remembers that little girl who was murdering people with the scissors or whatever. You know? Right, which I I had forgotten about her, <laughs> mm-hmm. and that was a little bit of a, a connection. We kind of wondered back then what the point of that was, and I don't know if that if that was just to do a callback right here or not, but. Um, she was having kind of these nightmares about Kit and about the kids. But then the kids take her out into the woods, walk her out into the woods, each one in, hand in hand, and bring her back, and she's okay. Right. Um, these kids are a little bit – what did you think of the kids? They were – I mean, they were odd, obviously, but I, they weren't creepy or scary to me at all. They were just – they seemed so warm and nice, and all the interactions that they had with either Kit or with um, Jude were pleasant and – and um and warm so i i never I, I didn't get the creep out factor like you do in a lot of horror stories with kids like the girl yeah like, i don't know they they creep me out a little bit just in kind of oh. like like they're mature beyond their years oh, kind of way yeah. um i mean i i think they were trying to make it clear that there was something they're special di- different about them yeah um but you're right it wasn't like a, a terror or anything that they were exuding, like, you know, the kid from the omen or something like that. But it was more just, yeah, just kind of that factor that there was something different about them right. or something off about like them. Like they were aliens. Right. <laughs> um, but then, he, I mean, Jude comes in a period of six months. She's somewhat back to, I mean, a fun-loving self. We see her dancing with Kit and with the kids. That was awesome, man. I it was just so happy to see her happy. Exactly, and she, you know, she's she's involved in these kids' lives. She's giving Julie dolls instead of trucks, so she'll be a powerful woman. Uh, and we kind of revisit this way, theme of powerful women. She's giving them trucks, not dolls. As, oh, sorry, yeah, yeah. She's taking away the dolls, giving trucks. Right. The advice, yeah, yeah. She did that, and she was teaching uh, Thomas how to sew. I loved right, right, it. So Bucking those, um, you know, gender roles, antiquated yeah. gender roles. Mm-hmm. And on her deathbed. You know, she's dying for one reason or another. Um, she's just been through a lot of shit. I mean, um, but she gives some advice. She tells Julie, don't let him. And so, Julie, do you think Julie was supposed to be named? Well, never mind. Um, but so she says to Julie, don't let a man tell you who you are or make you feel less or make you feel like you're less than you are. Um, you can do anything you want to. Jude, the feminist. So this is kind of like. Mm-hmm. This is what we were talking about at the very beginning, that Jude is this representation of a female that is determined to buck uh, gender roles, gender expectations. And on the other side, she tells Thomas, never take a job just for the money. Find something you love. Do something you want. Where did this come from, do you think? I, I think that was more of seeing um, um, the Monsignor kind of chase his ambition and see how awful he was as he was trying to climb to the top just because he wanted, you know, obviously it's probably not for money as a Cardinal, but, you know, make sure you're happy and you love what you do. I th- I think that's quite possible. I wasn't sure what was going on there. If that was maybe the voice of Ryan Murphy poking through or something, I don't know. That could um, be. But I, I, think, I, mean, I think that's a good analysis. Few, yeah. Though. Uh, but they call her Nana, like she said. Oh, my heart melted when they called her Nana. Oh. And then she says, I'm ready to go. She's here for me. And who do we see? 
Francis Conroy. We knew who it was. Kid did. Oh, we knew. Oh, yeah, yeah. We knew absolutely who it was, and so did Lana. Lana knew who it was, too. That was another just heart-wrenching moment, don't you think, when Lana's like, um, when Lana's like, I know who she's talking about. Yeah, yeah. And she's tearing up. Oh, I know. Lana's a good person inside. I know. She's she's coming around, and we we found out that she was kind of able to finally crack her, her, her shell. You know, she said in the last episode that I'm hard, as hard as I have to be. And eventually she got to the point where she was able to crack that shell a little bit. Um, but we find out that she can still be pretty tough, obviously. Um, so what, but what do you think uh, about that kiss scene? In the, the Angel of Death kiss scene in the darkness and the bed floating and everything? I mean, Absolutely beautiful. You know, that was a magical cinematic moment for the show, I think. You know, it was an intense moment. I mean, it was it was the loss of really the character that has kind of been more a major threat than anybody else. I mean, I know Lana kind of was the one we saw up until the end, but we've always talked about Jude kind of being our favorite. And right, I, I was just happy she went out on her terms and not at the hands of someone else. You know, she got to and redeem herself and also enjoy, even if it was only for six months, a little bit of happiness. And I think that's what she was waiting for. That's why she was ready. She wanted to be able to leave on her terms. Um, and she did. I loved it. She, uh, the um, angel of death said, you know, we've, we've been doing this dance for years or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Are you truly and, uh, ready? And she's like, yes, I am. And she is ready because she's finally achieved what she's been wanting the whole time. And that was, I mean, just the way the bed was white, like a, you know, the light at the end of the tunnel kind of thing. And, and then that spacious, you know, cavernous, empty, vacuum exactly and it's kind of you know judas like all in white and there's kind of like this symbol of her is kind of this purity in the darkness which is i mean just generally uh i don't know uh, an image that represents what the show is kind of like what she's been to the show that she was kind of i mean even though she was not an idea she was not a perfect person to begin with that she was able to remain kind of the light in this darkness of briarcliff and with that we bid her adieu Right. Um, and then we hear about the expose of Timothy Howard, our Monsignor, um, in which, I mean, so Lana's really, I mean, Kit's, I can only assume that Kit's conversation in the last episode must have had an effect on her because she goes after everybody after this, it sounds like. I mean, she goes after Briarcliff. She's looking for Jude. She's out to expose the Cardinal. And Arden. And what a, right. So she corners him about Arden doing experiments and being a Nazi and kind of chases him in the car and he kind of just denies everything and hurries off. But we find out that he kills himself. Yes. What, I mean, that surprised you at all? Uh, a little bit. I, I, you know, I, we don't really get too much exposition on what happened. If it was just the guilt that killed him or if people started like asking too many questions and he was going to just get in trouble in his life, you know, he would have been removed as Cardinal or, and, um, <clears throat> um, uh, what's the word when you get kicked out of the church? Excommunicated, Excommunicated from the church. And, uh, you know, we don't really know what the real reason is behind it. I, I don't think. So I, I could have done without hearing that he killed himself. But I think that maybe was necessary just to show how driven Lana was. And I think it's also interesting because of the fact that he did kill himself as such. I mean, he was cardinal of the Catholic Church. But what he did is so against the principles of the Catholic Church. So it's not even like he tried to kill himself in a, or like it's not like he died in a way that was coinciding with the Catholic Church. I mean, I, it, it, it seemed to me like that was supposed to be like a representation kind of of him finally acknowledging that he was not the pious man that he put himself out to be or that he tried to make himself believe he was. And I think that's kind of what, you know, Lana was saying when she called him a particular kind of liar. He was lying to himself the whole time. And, you know, he had had, he kind of succumbed to Eunice's devil, but then failed to acknowledge it. And then Lana's presence kind of brought it back up. And he finally had to confront the fact that he is not this destined man, you know, uh, pious saint destined for greatness or anything, you know? Yeah. I still think he may have thought and only with only because of one hint, but I still kind of thought that he might think that he was doing the right thing. Just, just because of the position his body was in when he had killed himself, he had that whole Jesus cruci- on the, on the cross crucifix position, arms out to the side, mm-hmm. blood coming out the hands. Obviously he slit his wrist, but just in that position, I was yeah. like, Oh, he still thinks he's 
you know. That's true. We do get that religious imagery a little bit again. That's true. That's true. So, I mean, who knows if he really learned his lesson or not. Either way, good riddance. Um, I didn't care about him at all. <laughs> yeah, I know. I was, honestly, it was about time he got we got rid of him. Um, but Lana uses this to talk about scars in the soul um, and talks about her own lies. And that's when she finally starts to come clean about our friend Johnny Jr., um, we kind of go back to the day where she breastfed him that one time and we kind of were wondering what happened. Well, she did give him away after that initial breastfeeding. And it does make you wonder if that initial breastfeeding is what kind of hooked him on to her as a mother. Um, he, like she gave him a little bit of taste of what it felt like to be mothered and then let him go. I mean, that was... I don't know. I, you're not going to remember back then. I think that that maybe was just the know, writers being a little, putting in some novelty, like freak out factor. I think it's true. I think you're right. But, I mean, I, I don't know what they're trying to say. Right. Like, Either way, it's kind of trying cool. to say. Right, right. Um, and we see the scene in which she tracks him down as a child in the schoolyard where some kid is berating him and calling him gay and stuff. And Do you want to suck a um, brontosaurus's dick? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what, was that? what was that insult, really? Uh, no, but, I don't. Uh, I don't think anyone does. <laughs> But Johnny Jr. is kind of a dork. He's got, you know, big frame glasses and a little bit of a, you know, comb over and everything. And and she says to him, you know, he's the asshole, right? She kind of stands up for him and he says, yeah, I know. Um, And it's kind of... What do you think I mean, about that? You know, she actually stepping in to, you know, stand up to the bully for this kid that she totally, you know, kicked out and, and removed from her life. Well, it almost makes you wonder if she did more damage than she did good, just kind of being in his life in that flash of a moment. Because obviously we learn later that he, he did think she was his mother. Um, and uh, w- whether or not she taught him to be tough or not is debatable, but at what expense, you know what I mean? Um, it didn't necessarily seem like his life was great, but maybe at the same time he... I mean, what he looked like as a child, as a dorky child, is far different than what we saw him at later on. So who's to say what formed him from that point forward? Right. I mean, it goes into, we've talked about the nature versus nurture thing, you know, with the show a million times. And this is one of those things of, you know, him having to be on his own. And that maybe that one interaction with his mom, which we know he realizes is his mom, shaped him to become the, the nerdy you know, picked on kid to this vengeful serial killer later on in life. Right. And the one line she says to him is, you know, he's the asshole, right? And it's like, you know, you wonder how much that formed him going forward that he kind of thought the world was out to get him. And that like, you know, you're not the one who's at fault for what happened to you kind of thing. Actually, mom, Um, you're the asshole. Yeah, really. And that's kind of what it came down to in the end. Um, but who's to say how much that formed him? Um, but Lana does say, although she wasn't close to Johnny, she was close to Kit's kids. She was their godmother. Um, and we kind of see these shots uh, in photographs of Kit getting remarried. Kit is such a damn hippie now. <laughs> he was a damn hippie. Um, and we find out that Thomas is now a law professor at Harvard and that Julia is a neurosurgeon. At Johns Hopkins. Like, let's just pick the two most prestigious schools and say they went there. I kind of Obviously, they're aliens. I, would, I was kind of hoping they would do more with the kids than they did. Me too. Because um, the way Grace talked about it is like, I mean, it may be, obviously, we kind of ended it here. But she was talking about, like, they're going to be leaders of men, like... I was thinking, is this the second coming? Is this going to be, are they going to be the president? I mean, what's going to, what exactly is happening here? And I feel like that was a little bit tied up too easily there. Julie's going to be the Surgeon General, maybe. And maybe Thomas could be the president. He is, you know, a Harvard Law professor. Or maybe he'll be a Supreme Uh, Court Justice. Who knows? Who knows? But um, we didn't really get the end of their story. So who, who knows where that's going and what, I mean... Well, Spin let's off. talk about this. So, Kit has cancer um, when he's 40, pan- or pancreatic cancer, pancreatic is that right? Pancreatic cancer, yeah. And one day he disappears. He's taken by the aliens, just like Grace said he would be. Um, but we don't really know. I, we didn't, yeah, well, I mean, what do you think? They, that's the end of the alien story. Right. I, you know what? I like that they left some mystery to it, because even if they completely answered it at this point, it, I would have been like, too much information. I'm not, none of us were completely invested in that storyline anyway, 
it was just kind of an interesting thing that was happening. But it makes, and we, it, we, it was nice to kind of see the, or have this mystery be a positive thing. If it was a dark negative thing, it would have been different. We would have wanted to know what was, what the hell was going on. Don't you think? I agree. I agree. And what I want to say is I think what makes this a little bit easier to digest kind of this this not um, complete ending of the alien story is uh, talk for a minute about what, what um, you and I had discussed about how Ryan Murphy viewed the alien plot throughout the season. That it was almost like a godlike uh, presence. Is that what you mean? I mean that partly and also like he wanted to have the experience of the aliens oh. be like how people actually thought of aliens. So talk about that. Right. Yeah. Basically he – he wanted to present that side of the story as it was presented throughout time, which is it's a mystery to everyone um, outside of uh, the experience of alien abductions, except to the people who were actually abducted, who only know so much as well. Like they were taken and things happened to them, but they can't tell you exactly why it all happened. So he wanted to leave that as it was right. and not try to answer that for and so all alien abductions. Ex- Right, and so in some ways he's trying to simulate the confusion and the um, kind of, you know, unknown that potentially were felt by these people who may or may not have been abducted by aliens or something like that. And that was kind of fitting with the time period, so... Right, I respect that, and uh, I'm okay with that. Are you are you cool with that? I was cool with that. More cool with it than I thought I would be. Me too. Um, more cool with it than I thought I would be. Um, so let's take a moment... To and that shot revisit. when Kit gets abducted or taken, and uh, it's just the shot of the empty wheelchair, but it's shot from the, a downward angle or an upward angle, I guess, from the floor. That was pretty cool. I liked that. Yeah, yeah, it was cool. I didn't could tell if it was fisheye cam they or not though, because you know they use that fisheye cam during the when Jude was teaching mm-hmm. them all how to dance, and that was all whimsical yeah. and fun and silly. A little seasick motion sickness, but. But um, the camera angles were pretty awesome again. Considering, yeah, considering it was the same director, it's not surprising. Um, and w- what they really wanted with Kit, we're not sure. At one point, Grace said because Kit is more open-minded than anyone else and more accepting and forgiving or something like that. And um, I mean, I guess, we, you know, Arden said it was eugenics. We have all these theories. I guess we're never going to really know what it was, but we can each have our own ideas. Dial up an alien. Um, but let's talk about now the final confrontation. Mm-hmm. Um, so that interv- Atlanta's interview ends, and everybody leaves. The cameras leave, and she goes and she pours a drink, very reminiscent of when he uh, was when she was about to kill her father. That's right. I mean, her and Thredson had their moment. Yeah, uh, Thredson, the kid, the Johnny's mm-hmm. father. Sorry, that's exactly. Um, and she says, let's get this over with. And he comes out. Yeah, she's like, you don't need to hide anymore. Or you don't need to hide <laughs> yeah. anymore. I know you're there. And we kind of, and we kind of have this camera pan over all these different portraits of Lana throughout the years. She's got like a Warhol picture and she's got like some other artistic sketches up on the wall. Bono sketched kind of a little thing on a napkin. It's acknowledging her fame. And the room is all red, which um, red is the color of American Horror Story, whether it's blood or love or lust or um terror you know it's kind of the um, yeah recur it's a recurring symbol um and we have johnny say you know your life is about to end to lana and lana knew, knew he, it was coming yeah, she said i i always um, knew this day would come i was like what how how did you know this day would always come i didn't get that right line. Um, and you know, Johnny confesses to killing the guy with, who brought the donuts that morning and that's how he got in. And, um, so she, yeah, she, she says the day would always come and we realized that she was able to recognize Johnny because some detectives had visited her about Johnny, um, killing people. Right. Can we talk about um, that camera shot real quick? Yeah. Yeah. Where it starts, I think it starts above her and then it kind of contorts around and then it swoops down. And then it turns upside down as it's continuing to go from Lana to the couch across from her where the uh, detectives are, are sitting. And then it comes up under the coffee table, which is glass, and you see the photos of of uh, Johnny on there. I thought that was – it was a little heavy-handed and a little uh, – almost overkill, but I, it was just fun. Right, and and um, the director, you just have to compliment him on how smoothly his transitions are, you know, jumping through time, jumping from one story. I mean, in all the different episodes we've seen him do. So, I mean, so impressive, so smooth. 
Um, very cool. And um, kind of revisiting the comment you just said about how she always knew this day would come. So she knew, obviously, from the detectives that Johnny was out there. He was a bad person. But in some degree, you wonder if she's thinking that she knew this day would come because she knew that the spawn of bloody face was alive in the world to some degree. And this is back to the same nature versus nurture. If there was just something wrong with him to begin with and she knew that someday Threadson would live again in the form of this child. I mean, that's why she wanted to get rid of the child in the first place, right? Right, that's the coat hanger. And so that was kind of a, I mean, the one interpretation of her quote there. Um, but we find out that the reason that Thread, or that uh, Johnny remembered her was from the playground and that he, not only that, but he had bought Threadson's recorded confession off of eBay, the confession that Kit and Lana talked him into. That was a little convenient or, and weird. <laughs> it was a little convenient. eBay, that is on eBay, come on. And, yeah, seriously. And um, that he was able to tell from that tape that Threadson loved him and wanted him to stay alive. Right. Um, and and Lana says, no he, didn't, no, no, he didn't love you. And I think that's debatable. I think that Threadson did love, I mean, did love Johnny. And I, obviously Threadson was an evil, terrible person. But in some ways it was like his crowning moment to create a new life that he was right. hoping would be better than his own. I you think know? he was in love with the idea of procreating and having an offspring that could, you know, that he could have. But I don't think he was in love with the idea of actually, you know, being that father to a son and raising him in, in a in a healthy way i don't think he would have yeah i don't know if he would have understood exactly what that meant he, we probably would have had like a dexter relationship right. kind of thing where he would have taught his son how to kill people or something along those lines but um because we know that threadson was super sick and everything to begin with but i legitimately believe that threadson cared about johnny and did want him to survive and but i mean at the same time in that tape lana was a little bit more callous then maybe she, we find out later that she really was about the child because she was trying to get Threadson to confess. Um, obviously, it was a tougher choice later on when she was really trying to decide whether or not to keep Johnny um, and and ultimately decides to. So whether I don't know if that's a legitimate representation of how Lana really felt about Johnny. I mean, she says even there, I wanted you to have a chance. Um, and with me, I didn't think you would. Isn't that what all, you know, moms who give up their kids, that's... Not that's totally generalizing. Excuse me, isn't that what most? That's also generalizing. Isn't that what a lot of moms want? You know, if they're giving up their kids, they know they have a, they've got a better shot of living a, a of a more successful, healthy life, not with them. Right, and I think it, for Lana, it was like having keeping this child would be like having the shadow of Threadson and a Briarcliff hover over them for all of. Eternity, I mean, how do you get over that, right? Lana needed plan B is what she needed. Well, and she almost did, but she decided... No, Lana went with plan C, which was gross. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So... Or D. She went with C, D, E, and F. We have this moment where Johnny's saying that he just wants them to be proud of him he wants, he wants his dad to be and, proud of him and he's he's bummed out because he's like i can never measure up to that to him he was such a good man or such a you know amazing man and she's and, like uh-uh. and she says you know you're a better man than he was he was evil you are just the victim of terrible circumstances and this is the point also um, when they're having this conversation he has pulled the gun and is pointing like it is on her forehead right yep yep this is the, the brink of death and Were you waiting for the trigger said, to be pulled? I thought he was going to kill her. I did, once she started talking, I kind of I kind of knew what was coming. I felt like okay, um, especially once he started lowering the oh, gun. Okay. But when she when when she starts saying that you know we're both a part of you, um, it's not just him; it's partly me too. I think that was interesting. Mm-hmm, sure. So how and it made you made you think about how much of the demon inside of him was Threadson and how much was Lana? You know. Yeah, that's, um, yeah. I, that's tough because, you know, Lana is technically the good person here, right? However, she's, you know, still messed up and hard and, you know, not the most likable person. 
but she's the one we in this story at least that you want to root for so i i do get her saying this and i i do think that her saying this is like maybe half trying to protect her life and play this because if she was expecting this to happen she definitely has rehearsed she's a smart cookie she has rehearsed what she would how she would handle the situation but i do think the other half is also maybe her trying to hopefully find him some peace right before she kills him and (laughs) and uh and tries to um i i wouldn't put it past her for making writing another book about that but and what what do you think do you think she was sincere I think that we, you know, we talk all, all this season about nature versus nurture. We talked about it earlier this episode. And I think here she's legitimately, like, she's raising the question in the most palpable way possible, where she's saying, basically, threads, you know, bloody face, Threadson is your nature. But at the same time, I am your nurture that went wrong. Neither one of us did you right. You know what I mean? That's a great point. Wow. And so either way, I mean, whether either way you look at it, whether it is nature or whether it is nurture, he wasn't, I mean, he had it, he had it bad all around. So who, what does it really matter? Which was, which was the reason for it? He was a bad person on both accounts because of both of them. Um, and you can argue that, you know, it's Threadson's fault that Lana couldn't raise the child or that she had the child in the first place, obviously. Um, but she did i mean she could have decided to keep him and to be a mother to him and to be everything that Threadson didn't have and but instead she decided to give him up and so i don't know yeah. you, you see both sides of the coin here anyway while she's telling him this stuff though isn't it i was i thought the tension was built amazing here cuz she's she puts her hand on his hand and starts and he he kind of lowers the gun a little bit and she puts her hand on on his hand with the gun and starts lowering it, but she's lowering it across her body. Mm-hmm. As oh, it's a lot girl, of trust, you know, lower it the other direction, point it away from you. But she's as it's going down, like oh shit, he's gonna pull it, he's gonna pull it, he's gonna pull it, he's gonna pull it. I I don't know, dude. When when I saw the gun going down in her hand, I knew it was gonna come back up at his head. But it was I, crossing I her body. It. it was like it was like just going slowly down, and it was like pointed at her chest, her torso the whole time as it was going down. I was like, oh my god, who you you learned the incorrect way to do this, ma'am? Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, a very intense moment. Um, and she comes back up and brings the gun to his forehead and shoots him. And that's the end of Johnny. That's the end of, I mean, we have, we have a last image before we end it, but this is the end of our, our timeline moving forward. Uh, what, I mean, as a conclusion, what do you, what did this mean to you? Did you get closure from it? I, I thought it was a little bit of a cop out for bloody face junior after the way that happened, it made me think that we didn't even need this storyline. It was a little useless to me. There's ways to show that Lana, you know, went on to be ambitious and and succeed in life because of her, of who she was um, and who she said she was from the beginning. But the whole Bloody Face Jr. thing just felt not, it, it was a little unnecessary. Uh, it was kind of an extraneous storyline that was you know icing on top of the actual icing on the cake which is not good i I don't know what did you think i think that it was interesting just the whole timeline of it was interesting we talked before about how we were so surprised that all our villains died in earlier episodes and that johnny jr was kind of the last one left and that was the trajectory of our season and that way it was kind of surprising and unique and I do think that Johnny Jr. dying was kind of the rep- supposed to represent kind of the final end of Briarcliff and everything it had created, the evil that Briarcliff held. Um, he was like the, the last piece of it, really, you know? Right now, it's just um, Lana. Right, and so... She's the last one Well, standing. and arguably the alien kids. Right. Um, but I think that, you know, instead... I think he was symbolic that, you know, we don't end in Briarcliff, but seeing him die is like seeing Briarcliff end. Kind of like... Uh, or, or seeing an end of Briarcliff. Like, even though you let, leave Briarcliff, you know, and you're in the future, that past still will follow you and try to kill you. Mm-hmm. Or, mm-hmm. you know... You, and you, 
you can't escape the past in some forms. Right. You have to confront it at one point or another. Which... And that's what she eventually does. Because she didn't confront it head on. I mean, she even wrote she wrote novels about it, but she lied about it, you know? Right. After uh, so after this happened, like after she shot him, I was like I was like, Wow, I didn't expect it to go down like that exactly, but I was okay with it. Because it, it spoke at least to the character they've been trying to convey um that Lana, Lana's characteristics of being ambitious and strong-willed and, and looking out for herself mostly. So that, that, that was definitely true to her character. Um, now, as far yeah. as her killing him that easily, it was like, you know, this, that, I, I, that could have been a whole nother, like four or five more episodes of building that up. Like it, he, you know, for all the flashbacks we were getting of what he was doing to get to her, it was pretty easy for him to track her down and then, you know, kill the donut guy to, to, to sneak in and work as one of the PAs on the set for the interview. It, it was just a little too convenient right, just it, to it set does, it up for him to, her to kill him. <laughs> it does make you wonder how it took him 20 years to get there. Yeah. Um, and he doesn't even get to have his moment with the book that he he wanted to have when he shows the autograph and everything like that, you know. Yeah, I hope that was worth it. Yeah, well. <laughs> anyway, so I I don't know how did you feel after like as soon as she shoots him, what were his, what were your initial feelings, your emotion? I mean, it did. I it felt closure, but it did seem like it happened very quickly. Um, like it was it was. I don't know. Um, and maybe that's it, it seemed like it was too clean a wrap up and maybe that's why they that wasn't the last scene we saw. So let's talk for a minute about how the very last scene. We're back to 1964. I loved that we flashed back. So I was like, "Oh, because that I don't know. I already it's, felt better when I saw something like that. If they ended it right after the death of Bloody Fist, you know, I'd be I know. Like, this was this is, this is what kind of made the episode okay for me. Um it's back when it's like after Kit was just committed as bloody face and Lana was trying to get the story from Jude before she's a patient. And we have Jude calling her Lana banana. They meeting, this is their meeting for the first time. And Lana says to Jude, you make ambition sound like a sin. And Jude says, you just have to be careful. Um, and so we kind of see, I mean, it was all foreshadowed in their first interaction. There are two like main characters. I mean, well, I guess Kit was another one, but Truly, our two main ones were Jude and Lana. And we saw kind of how, what Ambition did to both, each of them in their own right. Um, and then Jude says to Lana that she doesn't think they're destined to meet again. Oh, I, lo- but, I love that this then, was all laid out in the beginning. And, and you know, we just breezed right by it. Because at the point, they were throwing demons and raspers and, and, and aliens at us. That's what I was going to ask you. Is this something we've actually seen before, or was this a new scene? Uh, good question. I thought it was something we've already seen. I wasn't sure. I couldn't remember exactly. Oh man, I was playing like like it was something we've seen. I would have. I want to go back now and watch episode one and see if it's if it's you know. I can hear the emails, or I can read the emails now. Everyone calling us out. I'm not remembering this. Sorry. Well, that's why we ask if if someone remembers if this is something we've seen before or not. I'm inclined. I actually am inclined to think this, we're seeing something new. Um, and this is kind of like the the ribbon on top is that we realize that like this was all in some in some way predetermined. I would love and, it to be something we've already seen though, because then it's like, damn it, we yeah, should have caught that. It would have been cool if that was like the what well, we should have been following the entire season and. Um, you know, Jude says to Lana that the sacrifice a woman with a dream makes a sacrifice of loneliness and heartbreak, which we see happen. Absolutely foreshadowed. It's all a premonition. And she looks her in the eyes and she says, If you look in the face of evil, evil will look right back at you. And then it's like tight and, shot of her face. Oh my god, that was great. I love that. Brilliant. And that's what we I got goosebumps off that. That's been our uh, embodied the entire season, really. Right. Um, and then we have Dominique. As a oh, that too. was amazing! What a great callback. I love that. It reminded me of. Um, I don't know if you ever saw the series Weeds, but they they had the their initial um, or original uh, theme song, and then they brought it back for the the last episode, and it was just yeah, oh, it was just a, it was just a great callback 
just as Dominique was uh, for this. Yeah. I, I loved it. And then, and what, and where, and what is, what is our final shot? Us pulling up from the bottom of that center foyer, and then pulling up through the staircase, seeing that crazy iconic staircase that we've grown to see a lot of shit happen at. Ascending and descending in that staircase. I mean, it's it's almost like that staircase represents a form of purgatory. People fought there. People seen... died. People escaped. Like so much stuff has happened on those stairs. Uh huh. And each each one's a ring of hell. And I don't know. There's a lot of symbolism you could draw from those stairs. Absolutely. Um, and, and the way they've used them up and down, descending and ascending. But uh, ugh, hell. I mean, how do you? What can you even? Did, was this satisfying? I think it was. You know, and I, I this is kind of crazy. I know we one of our things is to make sure we podcast immediately afterwards so we kind of get that stream of consciousness to, to discuss exactly what's going through our mind right now so we can be right there with people who have just seen it, who have just seen it. But um, I, I think I did get a closure. It, I think it was good. I, I saw off the two characters, three characters, that I actually cared the most about who made it to the end, you know, and and the characters, I I was thinking about this. I've complained about this a few times that some of these deaths that happened either off screen or weren't as exciting, you know, it was kind of a letdown to me, but the more I thought about it, watching this episode, like, I don't know, the deaths of some of the inmates, like, like pepper or I mean, kit kind of, they're, they're, they're just not these momentous, dramatic uh, sequences. Like for Kit, for all people, they're secondhand. Yeah. We see a lot of deaths secondhand, right? You know, yeah. someone else telling the story of someone else dying, right? And I think now, having seen how when Lana went back into you know exposed Briarcliff, maybe we see what's a bit more truer to reality in this asylum. You know, like these people are these people are are you know often already completely forgotten when they, uh, you know, when they when they die, or when they go to the asylum. So who does it really matter to except for the people that? You know who shared the time with them in that in the asylum or in the institution, uh, if they died or not. So we see that you yeah. know when Landa heard of, of Jude's death, she actually was like kind of moved by it. Whereas no one else could have given two shits about Jude's death. But Landa and right. Kit actually cared because they were there with her. And if and if it wasn't for Jude, also Landa wouldn't have had this life that she leads now because she wouldn't have gone through that pain, <laughs> unfortunately. Yeah. But she also wouldn't have ever escaped. I don't know. Right. So it, right. it made me think of more about like that whole commentary on, you know, on, on, on our, uh, which a lot of people have said this, but on our, uh, our, how we handle our mentally, uh, ill patients in the U S so, but overall I loved it. I, I, with this episode, feel, I was good. Do you feel comfortable with giving it a final rating of some kind? I'll give this episode, um, a 4.5 only because mm-hmm. of that final sequence at the end. That really, it would have been probably a four, but just because we got to, we got a, Jude got a, a, a pretty good send off and I was so happy for that character because damn, she deserved it <laughs> for all the crap yeah. she went through. But then also the, the sequence at the end where they kind of hit you over the head. No, they don't hit you over the head. Sorry. They, they, they lightly, you know, remind you of kind of the themes and what this was about. So I, 4.5 mm-hmm. for this episode. I, I was very happy. What do you give it? I would have to okay. Um, I would say that there was not the big twist or the big reveal in this episode that I had anticipated, and I feel like a couple other people have said the same thing in comments on different things that there wasn't um, a major moment that was unexpected that really occurred in this episode. But, I I mean, you got to think of what this... And, I mean, I want to bring this up to you in a minute again. But how this season compared to the last season of American Horror Story. Season one of American Horror Story, I felt like, was so much about... Um, just being... I mean, it was it was scary. Like, probably scary. It was way more scary. the limits of what you could do with a cable horror show. Absolutely. That was... It, it, was, it was a horror um, show. It was scary, yeah. And, and in some ways, I feel like season two is not a fair comparison because it's a different beast. Completely. This show had scary elements to it, but it was so much more plot-driven and so much more about the narrative of the different characters involved. These stories were so and much so, more rich. Right, and so I feel like the ending, to me, 
of this season was more satisfying than the ending of season than the finale of season one was because this is more fitting for the tone of the season it seems like these endings you know um with the complete full circle stories of all these characters we've come to grow and love right i agree actually um it just seems more appropriate. Um, so give me your ra- rating for this episode, and then let's give a rating for the season. And then I need to fill I'm up gonna, my drink, because yeah. we've been talking for a while. I'm going to give this season, or sorry, this episode, I'm going to agree with you. I'll give it four and a half. Wow. Um, I, th- I think I've given one episode of five this season. It, so probably I mean, the it's name not game. my highest. It was probably name game. I or think anything, right. too. Um. So it's not my highest, but it is it is high up there, and I think that it accomplished what it needed to accomplish. And yeah, I've got a few minor gripes, but I feel like that's, in the end, that's I American feel, Horror Story. I feel, I feel good about it in the end. You know, I feel like it's a complete story in the end, and that's what I was looking for. Um, right. I mean, even even the alien plot, I feel I feel like we were talking about it. Like I don't need to know what their reasoning was. Um. Yeah, I, I don't know. I feel good about it. And so, as as a you know, do you have any commentary on that this season compared to last season? I think you were hitting the nail on the head when you said it was very like this season was was much more um, plot driven. It was rich in character, rich in storylines, whereas last season was much more thrills and fun and creepy and spooky. This one was a lot more. Uh, uh, disturbing and you're really delving into these characters psyches and what they're having to deal with and then when they're coming out like climbing out of the the, the, the traumatic holes that they, they've been th- that they've been in how they're handling it post uh post uh, uh traumatic trauma situations so it, it you're right it's completely two different beasts so it's hard to compare the two outside of it's under the same brand yeah. So I don't know how I, mean, I could And it's so impressive. Rank it. It's it's really impressive that the show can be, you know, two seasons can be so so strikingly different. Right. And we, um, we already know the the next incarnation is going to be completely different than these two. Um and there was supposed to be some big reveal, right? Or some huge uh, There's supposed to be a heavy hint about what season 3 is. Yeah, the only hint that I saw Did you feel- only because I'm looking for witches now because that's what everyone's saying that it's witches. The only thing I saw was Jude chasing around the little brats with the with the broom and like hitting shit in the house. That's I was like, "Oh, like a witch." <laughs> Hocus pocus. I didn't even catch I agree. I didn't even catch that though, so it's not that that wasn't that overt. Dude, well, we only um, watched so it one time. Missing, but just but, ju- but just to like let it out there what people have been talking about is that um uh, there's been a lot of signs of, you know, it's either going to be maybe some New Orleans voodoo going on, or some. I saw Goody Proctor with the devil. Salem witch trials. Yeah, yeah. That it's possible we're going to see some incarnation of witches because of some different signs. What are some of the other hints there were in past episodes? I put a spell on you was on the jukebox right, uh, right next to Name Game, I believe. And then uh, mm-hmm. there's one of our. Actually, check out our Facebook page. One of our um, listeners put a bunch of great hints uh, that people have been. Uh, picking up on in the last few episodes that could suggest that it's witches. Yeah, I think, and I think I'm excited to see what it is. Obviously I would love witches. I think that'd be awesome. I, and I mean, obviously we'll learn pretty soon and we'll probably post it on Facebook as soon as we learn it, but it'll be filming this summer and we'll be back in, you know, the show will be back in the fall. Um, so long. I'm so sad. I know. It, it, wow. I mean, it went by so fast, but I feel like so we just good. started. So good. Um, again, I guess. Uh, do you have anything else you want to say about this season? It it was amazing. I overall, I I, I don't know if I can give it a score or a ranking because it's. Uh, I don't know. I basically I'm so happy invested my time every Wednesday night to watch this show. Not that I would, I mean, I, we would have done it anyway if we weren't doing this podcast, but it, I thought it was amazing. I really enjoyed it. Jessica Lang, she's great. Sarah Paulson really won me over as an actress this uh, this series. I'm so glad she's going to be back for the next one. That girl, I think, is the next one that deserves an Emmy or something because, man, she acted the crap out of uh, out of her, her character and really sold it. Um, mm-hmm. 
I don't know. I, I I'm 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 very happy with it. It was it was not what I expected, but in the end, I ended up very uh, content with it. What about you? I think that's right. I think we should note that Sarah Paulson, Jessica Lange, and Evan Peters have all agreed to be in season three, so we're going to have recurring uh, our favorite characters recurring again. Um, I'm curious, who do you think is but, you? Okay, are we going to talk about next season yet? Well, first, I just want to say about this season that. You know, we came into it with such trepidation about, you know, if you listen to our pilot episode, we, we basically went on these rants about how we were so, like, worried about how it was going to hold up to season one. And I think that being so different helped it hold up to season one, not trying to do the same thing twice, because then it would be too easy to compare. And the fact that it is so hard to compare is a testimony to how good the season was. Here, here. Um Yeah, and I, I, I loved every minute of it. I loved the character development. Um the plots were crazy, but the writers made it come together, and they didn't feel obligated to explain things directly. I mean, it felt like a good other side of the coin to like Lost, you know, where it's like they either felt a compelled to explain every storyline to the point that it didn't make any sense, or b had something like show up one second and then you never heard about it again. I mean, it was a good. It, it, they had crazy storylines, but they all fit in with the time period. And with what else was going on. Right. I think that's, you know, American Horror Story. The one thing that you can definitely see in both seasons is that the writers don't, you know, or I don't know if it's just the writers, but the directors, everyone just doesn't really, like we've talked about, they just throw shit against the wall and see what sticks sometimes. And sometimes it's like awful and we're like, what the hell is going on? This is ridiculous. But then there's also those, like, the other half of the time, it's like, oh, my God, this is amazing. Well done. And they're talented enough to bring it together. I think that's a great point. Absolutely. Um, and so that's kind of my wrap-up of, of season two. Uh, do you have another – did you have any other comments or – No, that's it, about man. About what season three or Oh, well, like, what what, so, I guess what what we're expecting out of season three. Maybe we make that a, another podcast, but – well, and obviously, yeah, we'll do another pilot episode for season... Well, it won't be a pilot episode, but we'll do a preview episode for season three when we have more details and we're closer to season three. Um, but we do want to say that um, in the meantime, we are, we're not just done. We are going to do something else. We're still not quite sure what that's going to be yet. Um, we appreciate all your suggestions coming in. Um, we're still kind of feeling out the following. We want to make sure it's not just kind of another... Network CSI um, NCIS, yeah, like crime, you know, procedural, yeah, and that it's something unique. Um, we have a couple, a couple other shows in mind. We, we we've considered, you know, every so often throwing up a review of a horror movie that we both enjoy. There's a lot of stuff we have in our mind. We're going to decide soon. So the way you can um, keep up with that is by um, checking us out on Facebook at This American Horror Story Podcast, or sorry, yeah, This American Horror Story Podcast. Um, what else? You can email us at thisamericanhorrorstory at gmail.com. You can check out our website, thisamericanhorrorstory.com, which we will post it on there as well, whatever we're doing next. And as always, you can leave us comments, questions, rate us at, um, on iTunes. Let us really know what you think on iTunes, too, because, I don't know. I'm just getting emotional. I'm very sad right now. It's, it's... The end of a minor era, and I, I look can't forward to this podcast so season. much. I mean, well, let's just be happy. There's going to be a season three, and we'll be back, and we'll be back no matter what. We're going to be podcasting up until then, and we'll do something fun regardless, and we'll keep you all updated on it. But um, can't I mean, I already can't wait for next fall. It's not that far away. A big thank you to you guys for all listening and putting up with our awful interpretations of of scenes but also our speculation and most likely inaccurate uh conclusions of themes and storylines and whatnot we do this for fun and we uh enjoy the engagement that you guys have with us and also with each other because in the end we just like to talk about the stuff the show we like you know and we have a good time doing it so we're we're happy that you've joined us for this season that's right in the end i mean we were the same we're just like the writers. We just throw shit at the wall and hope something sticks and are glad. I mean, we're just happy to be talking at all, let alone having people listen to it and comment on it. So we appreciate uh, we appreciate you all. You guys are the best.
We, if, we, if you ever um, come to any of the towns we live in, we'll buy you a beer. Amen to that. Um, so, until then, um, we'll let you know what we're up to soon. Very soon. We're, we're in discussions right now. So, But until then, um, just want to say it was a great season. Can't wait for season three. Uh, Chris, where can people find you online? Uh, I'm on I'm on Twitter at Chris Husted. It's K R I S H U S T E D. And I'm on Twitter at TJMoss11, and that's how we'll let you know also about what we're doing next. But uh, until then, um, all I can say oh, is, oh, don't say it. It's over. Happy hauntings, people. No. Oh, bye. Good night, everyone. La mini télécalique s'en allait tout simplement Où Dieu, pauvre et chantant En tout chemin, en tout lieu Il ne parle que du bon Dieu Il ne parle que du bon Dieu